Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. I'm Honey German. And I'm Carolina Bermudez. And, and this, this is Life in Spanglish. And you know we're cooking it up in here. We got that arroz con pollo waiting for you. Why are you looking at me so confused? Because I'm like, what we cooking? We don't have a stove. <laughs> you got the bajo. I'll get, you know, the, you got the mangu. We got it all for you at Life in Spanglish. I need a sancocho if I'm getting any type of food. Listen and follow on the iHeartRadio app or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here, Friday interview a dish in the studio here at Pond City Market. And I had a, a great chat just now with Ike Barinholtz, everybody. Um, he, I'm delighted to say, is, and I know I say this all the time, the nicest dude and so funny and so fun to talk to uh, about Goodfellas, which was his pick. Uh, but Ike, you might know from well, he's been around. He's been a lot of things. He's He's got one of those faces where you see it and you're like, that's Ike Barinholtz. He was in, well, the first thing I think I saw him in was Mad TV. He was a cast member for uh, five or six years. And uh, then Eastbound and Down, one of my favorite shows. We talk about it in this, uh, in our talk here. He was, uh, he played Ivan, Ivan the, the Russian uh, pitcher uh, and nemesis of Kenny Powers in that great, great TV show. And you might know his work from The Mindy Project. And he has a brand new movie coming out that he wrote and directed and stars in uh, with his brother John and the the wonderful Tiffany Haddish. And Nora Dunn is in it. And uh, just a really, really great cast. It's called The Oath. And it comes out October 12th. And I got to see it because we were going to do a little Q&A screening in Atlanta last night. But his plane was delayed, so he couldn't make it. But uh, the good news is I got to see the movie as a result. And it's very, very funny. It's very dark. Dark, dark comedy, everybody. Uh, dark satire, which is one of my favorite genres. And he really goes there. It's about a uh, about a man sort of obsessed with the current uh, presidential administration in the film, fictional presidential administration, uh, wherein that president has asked the citizens of the United States to sign an oath of loyalty uh, to prove how much they love him. Uh, so uh, a family Thanksgiving ensues that is uh, funny, and uh, then it gets very dark, but it stays funny, and he strikes just the right tone. It's a very funny, funny movie, and um, I highly recommend you see it uh, out October 12th, The Oath. So Ike came in, he picked Goodfellas, which I was very uh, grateful for because it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and we had a really good time talking about uh, not only Goodfellas, but his career and acting and comedy and improv and even a little bit about 80s NBA basketball. So how about that? So here we go with the wonderful Ike Barinholtz on Goodfellas.
Oh, yeah. NPR voice. That's why I can't tell. I've never looked her up. Yeah, she's, she's, the urge. She's, she's, she's older. Okay. She's older. <laughs> <laughs> she's no spring chicken, <laughs> but neither am I for that matter. Uh, what part of Chicago? Uh, I was born in Rogers Park, which is kind of like a, it's almost like the northern tip of the city. Um, and then we moved to um, Uptown. Oh, that's a, oh, We moved to uh, Uptown uh, when I was like six, like mm-hmm. not too far from Wrigley Field. Are you a Cubs fan? Big time. Yeah. How about you, Braves? Or yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we might see you guys in the playoffs. Yeah, they. You know, they. I don't know if, how much you keep up with it, but they moved the Braves out of the city. Yeah, to the suburbs. That. Yeah, a couple of years ago. That sucks when that happens. And it's not like I bailed on the team, but like I used to go a lot. Well, it's games. right downtown. It's a Wrigley Field. It's right there. Yeah, so, yeah. It's it's tough. Once so it's the... been a bit of a bummer. Yeah, uh, Chicago is one of my favorite places. <sighs> it's the best. Man. I love it. Fucking awesome. I love it. Great I went food. to. Um, well, I've been there a few times to do like live stuff you should know shows. This sure. is another podcast right. that I do. And um went last year for that U2 Joshua Tree show. Okay. At Soldier Field. Soldier Field, right, <laughs> right, right. Because he didn't play Atlanta and my wife and I were like, I feel like we should go to this. Let's just pick a city in Chicago. That's the right the city to go. It's the right city to go see a show. It was so much fun though, man. I love it. It's a great town. I'm going back uh week from Monday. I can't wait. So you have family sure. there? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, well, we're having a screening of the movie there. Oh, cool. And we're, like, I put it on Facebook, and like, like every person I've ever met is like, <laughs> I would love to come and bring five people. And I'm like, well, how about you just bring your wife? And, and we'll great. figure it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. I, I booked an improv show right afterwards. I'm kind of kicking myself for that because I would love just to finish the movie and like have a drink. But instead, right. I'm going to go schlep over to the theater and do a fucking improv show. So it's going to be Second City? Uh, at IO. Oh, improv okay. Olympic. That's yeah, kind of yeah. more my, my theater. So. Gotcha. And it's, it, luckily, it's close to that. So it shouldn't be too bad. So IO, they have one, <clears throat> or they did in LA, right? Did they still? Closed down. Closed down right. about six months ago. And then last week, big, big uh, LA Times story that uh, SWAT raided it last week and they found it had been uh, taken over by squatters who were dealing guns and drugs. Was that on Cosmo? Yeah, Cosmo in Hollywood. Exactly. Okay, no but, one knows that. They're always like, uh, like Coanger, right? But you know Cosmo. Well, because our we have an L.A. studio on Cosmo and last time I was there, which was a few months ago, there was some kind of raid going on on Cosmo. That's that was probably like a like a pre-raid or a something. Pre- yeah. A run through. It was a run through. It was a dress rehearsal. <laughs> were they doing it not quite right, but you could tell? <laughs> yeah, well, and all the uh, drug dealers inside were like, is this am I okay? Uh, what are we doing here, guys? How how far do we want to go with this? Are we rolling? Yeah, yeah, we're oh, recording. Great. Oh, awesome. So this is all uh, I mean, I'll just find a good entry point. I love it. Um, well, let's talk about the oath. Have you seen it? Yes. I was so ready to talk about this at the Q&A last night. Can we just take a few minutes and talk about United Airlines? <laughs> um, look, weather is weather, but you don't have to be rude. <laughs> and you don't have to make people go to the wrong gate twice. It was a disaster. But, uh, yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah, just so everyone knows, um, Ike was in town yesterday. There was a screening of the oath. I was going to moderate a little Q&A afterward, which like I was totally co- stoked about. Coolest person we've had do it. It was like, it was like you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, yeah, as the board started getting more and more delayed. Then you guys were stuck in Houston? Houston, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a bummer. The planet Houston. I thought about it. I was like, should I ask if they want me to come down there and just do a little chat with the audience? I mean, we were literally trying to think of things to do, and we were like, what if he FaceTimed? And I was like, I don't think it's going to be fun for him or me or them. I would have done it, man. I would have done it, too, but then she made a good point. She's like, we wouldn't have been able to. 
Everyone like, would. Oh, Everybody guy? would. Yeah. What? Who does this? No. 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 Uh, so yeah. But yeah, the oath in the in the fine tradition of holiday films. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like White Christmas, but for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was gonna set it up, but I figure you probably have a a more accurate and succinct. Well, Re- recap without giving away, you know, I don't want to give it away. If you can imagine, if I can transport you to a country where um, it's politically divided <laughs> and there's a presidential president who is obsessed with uh, with with loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, uh, it, it, it's like this fictional president um, has asked the citizenry to sign this this loyalty oath. Yeah. And it really has divided the country even more. And people are like, how could you? I'm not signing. Screw you. I am signing. Which you don't have to sign, but you get a tax credit. Exactly. <laughs> we, like, it's, not, it's not compulsory, but it's highly suggested. Yeah. And uh, uh, kind of the deadline to sign this is the, the Friday after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. And the whole movie more or less takes place that week of Thanksgiving. And my, mm-hmm. my the character I play, a guy named Chris, is uh, a little bit like I was a few years ago, like completely consumed mm-hmm. by the 24-hour news cycle and the changes in government and stuff. And it's yeah. making everyone crazy. And so kind of the first part of the movie is kind of this, you know, family comedy about yeah. not talking about politics in the holidays. Right, and for then, sure. Yeah. And then it takes this turn where we kind of have these government forces <laughs> kind of show up at the house. Yeah, and then it definitely goes dark. It goes dark. We go dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 think, um, I think it's fun. Yeah. I think, like, I tell people, like, someone said to me, like, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'm not going to go. I'm going to see when it comes out on, on iTunes. And I was like, no, here's why you got to see this movie in the theaters. Because there's two kinds of movies I like to see in a theater. Uh-huh. Comedies yeah. and like tense thrillers, yeah, right? Because you both. feed off the energy, <laughs> and we get a little bit of that. So I tell people, no, this is one you go see. Well, I think I, uh, I did want to ask you, like, first of all, I think you d- delivered laughs like when it was desperately needed as a viewer, yeah. as an audience member, yes. which was great. It was like, I mean, it really like the word comic relief is. <laughs> it's truly is relieving. So truly relieving <laughs> in this case because it gets you know genuinely tense. Yeah, um, it gets heavy duty. But uh, tonally, like, it's such a tough thing to pull off uh, a tonal switch like that. And I think you nailed it. Oh, thanks. So I'm curious, like, when you were writing the script and conceiving of it, like, I'm sure you wrestled with that a lot. I did. You know, there are a couple movies that I think, um, you know, have kind of gone there a little bit in terms of – there's a great movie called Mrs. Miniver. Old movie. William Wyler movie from 1947. And uh, uh, kind of the first third of that movie is this kind of like pleasant life in this pastoral English village, mm-hmm. and 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 the backdrop is World War II, but everyone's still kind of happy. And then the uh, uh, kind of the second part of the movie is like the Nazis in the house, right? And I saw that movie when I was young, and then also too, you know, in the last few years we've seen movies that um, do kind of have like like I loved Get Out, mm-hmm. and I thought sure. Get Out did this great thing where they like take you to the edge of, yeah. of your seat and then all of a sudden his friend who works for TSA Little mm-hmm. Rel's like you know hilarious yeah yeah the movie Philomena mm-hmm. you remember that movie with Steve Coogan and Dame Judi Dench that movie is like the most serious subject matter ever it's like the Catholic Church killing kids or something yeah. it's crazy but at the core of it is this kind of like odd couple comedy about uh-huh. this like posh man and this poor old lady so I, I knew that like I, I, I knew in my head there were there were examples that 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 that, that worked and 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 you could kind of move back and forth and you know it's it's one thing to write it and it's one thing to shoot it but for for a movie like this 
in terms of executing the tone, you really can't tell until you see some kind of assembly. Yeah, it's got to be a little nerve-wracking. It was, it was, because if that doesn't work, yeah. the movie does not work. And there's really no reshoots that could save it or right. anything. So, uh, we yeah, were, you were kind of all in on it. We're all in, exactly. So we kind of breathed a sigh of relief when our, our great editor, Jack Price, showed us the assembly, and we knew that it made sense. Mm-hmm. It had work to do. We had a lot of, you know, you know, stuff to do on it, but we knew that that structurally and tonally, um, it was it, it, it was it, it was it was going to work. Right. So so that was a huge sigh of relief. Yeah, uh, great cast, um, <laughs> amazing cast. Yeah, uh, Tiffany Haddish, which you know she's so busy. Like I imagine, just scheduling her was difficult. Yeah, it was. I mean, I saw her a long time ago in this movie called Keanu mm-hmm. with Keanu Peel. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and she, she was at the cat, exactly. Will Forte is like a pimp or something. Uh, and uh, I was really taken by her. I was just like, gosh, she's so, like, tough and, mm-hmm. like, authentic. She'd be a good wife for me in a movie one day. Yeah. And and so uh, I right when I kind of started conceiving the movie, uh, The Oath, and I knew that uh, the core of it was going to be this kind of husband and wife, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's got to be Tiffany Haddish. And, and we have the same manager, and I was like, hey, oh, I really great. love her. And she hadn't. Girls Trip hadn't even come out yet. Oh, okay. So, so That's great. You know, and then when I, I got her the script and she read it and we met just after Girls Trip had come out. So she was starting to get big. But then, you know, months, I kept being nervous that she was just going to like, you know, we were going to get the call. Hey, she's the main hero in the new Star Wars movie. She's out. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that call, you know, she, she, God bless her. She made a commitment. She showed up every day. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and like scheduling was insane because yeah. like. I, I, there's been a few times in my life where I've seen someone go from like famous to really famous, mm-hmm. but never like like her. Where yeah. like she would literally like shoot two days, go fly, host SNL, come back, right. shoot for three days, <laughs> go to Vegas, do stand up, come up. Like she was, she's just so 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 busy. But yeah, but she, you know, she showed up and just delivered, man. That's awesome. And it's a different part for her because. You know, as you know, the first kind of, you know, her character Kai, the first uh, you know, half of the movie or so, she's she's just stressed and she's internalizing all these feelings mm-hmm. and her husband is making her crazy with his constant, you know, news theories and stories and stuff, and she's really like internalizing everything. And then when she finally does pop yeah. and explode, she really kind of, you know, uh just stays there and it's just it's it was really fun to watch her. She's like a shark, you know, she like, yeah. has to move to stay alive. Yeah. And to watch her play that contained kind uh-huh. of like it was really <laughs> fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh I mean, it's obviously a social statement on what's going on in our country now. Yeah. But I also felt like, um, I mean, me as like a liberal hippie in the South, uh, also a statement on being obsessed as a liberal with what's going on yeah. to like an unhealthy degree. A hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, because I, I see it happening. Yeah, the, all the, around me. It's less. The movie really is honestly, and I'm not just saying this. It, it, it's not like really about politics. It's about this not family and their reactions to it. Absolutely. And how this, you know, current government and the new cycle that accompanies it have been just right and left breaking people's brains, mm-hmm. and how otherwise smart, normal people um, are losing it and they're obsessed and yeah. they're, and they're, and they're, and I know it's coming from a place of like terror and they're scared and stuff, right. but um, it, it, people on, and I hate to use it, the term both sides because I'm not a both sides or I right. firmly am on one side, which I believe <laughs> is fundamentally good, yeah, yeah, but, but we are still seeing, you still do see like, I know of smart people that follow 
insane liberal conspiracy theorists yeah. on on Twitter and stuff, and they promote it and stuff. It's not as bad, right? You know, I will never say that, but but um, just watching people just let it completely consume their lives. I know now that it's not healthy. I yeah. went through that. Yeah. And, you know, one morning I was with my wife. This is maybe, you know, three months after uh, Trump won. And uh, it's like 6.22 a.m. Mm-hmm. And she's breastfeeding her child. And I'm reading some god-awful article or something. And I turned to her and I just go, like, almost with like a tear in my And I'm like, America's lost. Yeah. And she goes, hey, dude, too heavy. <laughs> 6.22 a.m. I got a kid on my boob. Yeah. I don't need, like, the, the yeah. Sturm und Drang and the, you know, the, the word. Uh-huh. It's all over. So so I think, like, you know, you know, the best way to kind of to, to do that news intake is to really, you got to really manage it carefully. Yeah. You know, you like almost like coffee. You know, you have to, right. to take a little bit when you wake up, have a cup at noon. Maybe a cup of you know decaf at night. Yeah, but and, and at the same token, you you uh, I know people who are handling all this by completely unplugging, and I think that's bad too. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a middle ground um, yeah. where you can do the right thing as a citizen and be involved and active, but you have to take care of yourself too. You got you need mental health, man. Yeah, we got to watch out for, for ourselves. For sure, and and you know it is finding that balance and i i think i'm starting to now kind of get the balance and you know what i mean i think i am although i literally just tweeted something uh, to the president on the way over here but he was he was talking about like POWs are the greatest and yeah. i was like i was like hey man the ghost of john mccain is going to take a dump in your mouth tonight while you're sleeping um but but so i still i still do that ghost um, poop. but <laughs> ghost poop that's the worst isn't that a bill cosby movie that's so. ghost dad um but uh, uh uh, yeah, it, I'm trying to find that balance. Though I'm getting I'm much closer than I was two years ago, but yeah. it, it is something that I'm trying to do, and I know a lot of people are too. Yeah, by the time you have it all worked out, then uh, hopefully he'll be gone. <laughs> hopefully, then Don Jr. will be president. <laughs> oh, Jesus! <laughs> when I make that joke, you just watch people's <laughs> smiles just disappear. They're yeah. like, I don't even like that. As a, not even as a joke. Not even funny. <laughs> Uh, and then your brother is in this movie um, yeah. and is hysterical. Yeah. And uh, I have a brother, and part of me when I was watching this was like, I sense a little bit of brotherly, like, are, you're kind of fucking with him a little bit just to make him play this guy. 100%. In real life. Yeah, my brother in real life is more liberal than me, man. Like, he, How painful is that for him? It was tough. I mean, the whole movie actually, the impetus came from after the election, that Thanksgiving, right? We're yeah. at, at, at my, uh, after dinner, me and my mom and my brother getting this huge fight about Trump. Uh-huh. And it's your fault. And the crazy thing is we all like enthusiastically voted for Hillary Clinton. Right. My brother was a little bit more of a Bernie guy. Yeah, yeah. My mom was kind of, you know, she's she's based in Ohio and her whole thing was like, they forgot about Ohio, forgot about Ohio. Right. So, so, um, you know, politically, we're all aligned. But my brother, uh, you know, when I right when I knew that the, the, this kind of main uh, antagonist to me was going to be my brother, I was like, okay, I got to cast my real brother. A, I know he's a great actor, yeah. right? Like, he's got the comedy chops, but I also, like, remember, and again, this is, you only get this with with a brother, where I saw him at the Steppenwolf Training Center do right. uh, uh, a Sam Shepard play, and he was brilliant. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, okay, so I can, I know he'll be funny. Uh-huh. I know he can deliver emotionally, but more importantly... I got 35 years of history. <laughs> yeah. I threw a bag of change in his head one time, and he <laughs> cried a lot. Yeah. So I knew that I, especially in those scenes at, like, the Thanksgiving dinner table, um, I could get him to a place where he is legitimately mad. Right. And, and vice versa. You know what I mean? Like, there's a couple moments where maybe he wasn't paying attention. Uh-huh. And I was kind of like, hey, man, come on. We don't have time. And, like, I'm mad, and he's mad. And my right. mom, when she saw the movie, she goes, I know there are scenes where you were being mean to Jonathan. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, yeah, but I paid him. Chill out. <laughs> oh, that's great, though. That's cool, too, to work with family it like was that. So, it was so great. My dad's actually in it, too. He's the uh, voice of my attorney. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and he, he, you would have thought that, uh, you know. We, we brought back in the Kellen you know, right. to do it. He was like, do you want me to do it again? Do you want me to send it out? I can do another version. Do you want me to do a voice? And I was like, no, 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 you're good. Man, that was so tense. Like even that just triggered me when you were trying to get in touch with your attorney on the phone. And it's a comedy. And I'm just like, fucking answer, I know. please. Because it goes, it goes there, you know. It is stressful. I just think it, we're living in stressful and absurd times. Right? Well, like, those you captured like, that. Yeah. And Very that's well. exactly what I wanted. I want yeah. to make fun of it and, and like make people feel like a little uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. You did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> so speaking of family, mm-hmm. uh, I always like to talk to people about their, their sort of pop culture life growing up Yes, in Chicago. Was, uh, was that a big part of your life? Do you have any other siblings? I, was movie no, night a thing? It was just my brother and I, and uh, my dad was my, – both my parents were theater majors, right? Oh, okay. My mom was more of a costume designer, and my dad was an actor. Uh-huh. And so the arts were huge for us. Yeah. Like, like dinner conversation was a lot of times about, like, movies and television shows and books and stuff. And um, God bless my parents. I mean, I, I know it was the 80s and it was a different time. But my parents, like, let us watch it. Right. Like, we could watch Trading Places, and uh-huh. we could watch Beverly Hills Cop, and we could watch Vacation, and we could watch The Godfather. Yeah. So, so they really didn't baby us, and they really, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'll never forget like, when my brother was, like, three or four, they let him watch The Last Boy Scout. And I was like, what are you doing? Even <laughs> a kid, I was like, that's bad parenting. But they really did. They, they, they nurtured it, and they really... I think are are responsible more than anyone for my both me and my brother having a relatively high pop culture IQ. Yeah. 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 Now, were you both acting at an early age? No, no, not at all. I, I, I want to be a politician. Really? Yeah, yeah. My dad was also kind of friends with some local, uh, you know, in Chicago, they're uh, aldermen. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he was kind of friendly with some of those guys. I'm sure they're all in jail now. <laughs> um, but but I, I loved election day, and I would go with him to the polling place. Really? As a kid, you were into I, that? I was, only for two reasons. Uh, one, they just had good food. Like, you could get good donuts <laughs> and milk duds and popcorn. Um, but I did love the, not just the glamour of it, um, and the swagger of these ridiculous characters. Um, I remember there was one guy named uh, Zenkich, and I don't know what the hell he was running for. He was this big, uh, you know, Romanian or Polish immigrant, big guy, big, giant, slick back hair. Uh-huh. And he had all these combs that said Zenkich on it. And he gave me one, and he goes, every time you comb your hair, you will think of Zenkich. <laughs> and I kind of do now. But the, 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 the kind of cheesy... Uh, um, aspect of it that really resonated with me was like watching these candidates talk to their, you know, constituents or or possible constituents and this kind of combination of a constituent looking up to a politician and really needing help while whatever level it's fixing a pothole or near housing or something and having these politicians look at them and say, I'm going to take care of you. Like Mm -hmm. there was something about that that I really just, the nurturing of it, I thought was really, really cool. So in my mind, uh, I I was also the kid that like would like be like, well, let's watch Ronald Reagan's 1984 convention speech. And then when when Clinton was up, I was like, well, let's just check this guy out. Right. So I was very interested in it. And then you know, as that kind of started to subside and I went to college and discovered pot and all that stuff, I sure. was like, oh, well. well, I can never, yeah, I can never uh, be president, but now I can. Sure, you can <laughs> fucking mean, do anything now. Evidently. Anyone can be president. <laughs> That's the good news. Um, so, so, um, but, 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 um, I, despite that, I, I would say that even though we didn't act or perform other than like a school play here and there, 
arts and entertainment was really, and pop culture was mm-hmm. really the basis of our family's house. And the third kind of component growing up in Chicago in the late 80s and 90s was, of course, basketball. Right. Because we oh, had Michael man. Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And it yeah. was just like, I think I watched every Chicago Bulls game from like 88 to 95. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, I love the Bulls, and I was a Hawks fan. I mean, that's one of those things. Well, that was a great, you know, Hawks team, too. Spud Webb and Dominique. No, we had some decent teams back then. I can tell you this. I went to the 1988 Slam Dunk Contest in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And I got to tell you, as someone who was there, Uh I will be honest. Neek should have won that one. (laughs) Dominique Wilkins won that dunk. It was a home. Because he got like a, like a. Uh, you know, basically like an aggregate of like a four nine, and right. Jordan got like a five or like a four nine five, and it was like no, Nick 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 had that. Which one. year was that for Jordan though? Was that the... that was not the flight symbol? Okay, that was the year after. Gotcha. Yeah, he should have won for the flight symbol. Yeah, but the year after, I think Dominique had his number, and it was a little bit of a homerism. I haven't watched that in years. I used to be really into that stuff. I it was I, better back then, right? It or was better back then. It was also the just guy. dunks were still new. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like there's um, not much they can do now. Yeah, I still love basketball. Yeah, me like too. I. Love Love it, but but uh, that All Star Weekend, I don't really. Because also the All Star Weekend itself is just kind of like doesn't really matter, and it's just no one wants to get hurt, and they're just like yeah. you know shooting half court shots. Seems and like stuff. it used to be a bigger deal. It was a bigger deal. It was and just Bird new. in the three point contest, it was just like, Craig Hodges. Remember so Craig great. Hodges? Oh yeah, he won three years in a row. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, right. He was amazing too. And those eighties years, that was some good basketball best. between Bird and Johnson and Young Barkley. Remember yeah. Young Barkley in the seventy oh, six? Yeah. He was just just. Just devastating. Yeah, he would throw his ass, and like three guys would go flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah Lajuan. You know, you know, you missed that. If if you're on a team with Rick Mahorn and you yeah. have the biggest ass, <laughs> that's a lot. Oh, Mahorn, man, I forgot about him. <laughs> those were good years. Yeah, and uh, back when the, I mean, the Knicks were fun to watch back then. <sighs> they too. were great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ewing and Gerald Wilkins and yeah, John Anthony. Starks. I heard a great story. I don't know if it's true or not. It's not even my story, but someone told me that. They uh, saw John Starks somewhere at maybe Madison Square Garden. And this guy went up to him and was like a huge Knicks fan. He's like, John, man, I am like the biggest fan. (laughs) Starks just looked at him. And he's like, can I get your autograph? And Starks is like, yeah, sure. And he says, "Um, yeah, my name is, uh, it's it's Mark with a C. And Starks looks at him and is like, (laughs) he wrote (laughs) C-A-R-K. He said Mark with a C, and he was like, oh, Kark? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> That's what I heard. Oh, my God. I heard that story. That story's too, like, weird to it's be too, made it's up. Too, yeah, it's too specific. <laughs> God, John Starks, was, he was so good, man. Yeah. Oh, he used to shut Jordan down. It drove yeah. me crazy. Well, he was just money when it counted. You know, he's not like Tough an all-time player. great, but no, no, just like a, just like yeah, like a like a like a not like a uh, you know generational player, but yeah. just like a decade player. Like you'd watch that guy play for a decade. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You still Bulls fan, I guess. Yeah, or? you know, it's kind of depressing when I think about that. Now that LeBron's gone, and we yeah. could have kept Jimmy Butler and been relatively competitive in the East. Mm-hmm. But uh, I still do uh, try to watch. You know, maybe a dozen Bulls games a year if I can. Yeah, I'm excited. We have I'm also like I'm excited to live in L.A. when LeBron's there. Like I. I love LeBron James. Like, I think I he is too. a great guy. Uh-huh. I love watching him play. Yep. And uh, I'm excited for him to be in L.A. Yeah, and he's a guy that, like, he gets shit, and he's a dude that has spent his entire life doing it right, except for, like, the one, you know, the decision thing that was, he has since said, of, wow, I didn't yeah. do that right. <laughs> I think you should be very skeptical of people who hate LeBron James. For sure. I just, I don't understand that. I know. I'll, there's like a weird thing there where I just don't get it. Yeah. Also, you had the best. Didn't you call Trump a chump? Oh, I mean, he's. Or no, I called him a bum. Yeah. yeah and I yeah. remember reading that being like, <laughs> That's That's such a good old, yeah, <laughs> old bum. School. It's really good. It sticks with you. Uh, well, when did you get into acting then? You know, I went to, uh, 
I, I, I gave college a try, and uh, we didn't get what along. Uh, I went to Boston University, but I didn't go to, like, I to get into the main program, I had mm-hmm. to do, like, a one-year thing there that's basically for, like, hockey players. Right. Or, like, kids like me who were, like, had pretty decent test scores, but, like, bad grades because right. they didn't like to work right. So I got there, and, and right away, it was just, it wasn't working out, you know, and I, and I, I, I it was a bit of a you're fired, I quit situation. Mm-hmm. And I, I had come back to Chicago, and and I knew that like acting made sense, and I was like I kind of you know locked myself in my dorm room for a few weeks and watched a bunch of movies over and over and over yeah. again. And my dad uh, was friends with the woman whose brother was at Improv Olympic and was a uh. performer. He took me to see their fifteenth anniversary show mm-hmm. in Chicago at the Vic Theater, and it was like a definitely like a seminal moment in my life right. because I saw. Amy Poehler mm. and Adam McKay and specifically uh, Tim Meadows. Yeah. You know, Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows did this bit that night. I'll never forget it. He did like this long bit about, at the time there was this movie that came out that weekend called Solo starring Mario Van Peebles. Uh-huh. Weird movie. No one ever saw it. But he kept referring to it. And people weren't even laughing, but I was <laughs> laughing so hard. And I was like, oh, I, I think I can do this. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think I could try. So I started taking, um, you know, improv classes mm-hmm. there at Second City at the uh, the Great Annoyance Theater. And I really just kind of gave myself to the world. Yeah. And I worked at Second City at night as a busboy. I took every class you could. I went to every single show you could. Yeah. Until I was able to start kind of performing. And then you start performing and you're really bad. And then you get a little bit better and better. And then and then I just kind of started clicking a little bit more. And, and I... I, I did the. I went through Chicago in about three and a half years, uh-huh. and then all improv. Any stand up or just no? I never really got into the stand up. I've done it like four times, yeah. and it's gone well. And I don't want to ever have right. a bad stand up. <laughs> so I'm just going to walk you away. Retire back yeah, in a thousand, exactly like Ty Williams. And I, um, but I never got into stand up. I, I, I loved um, the kind of fusion of. Um, acting and writing that mm-hmm. you get from from long form improvisation, and you know, there's two kinds of improv. There's like whose line is it anyways, which right. is like short form and game based, and uh-huh. then there's the Chicago style, the Herald as they call it, which is much more kind of based in characters and scenes. Yeah, and 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 that to me was just so exciting that you could go up and on stage and play five different characters or do five different scenes. You could play the president, you could play, you know, a ninja, you could play everything. So I lo- I, I loved it, and I started kind of getting the hang of it more and. And then I, I, I made this move out to Amsterdam. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a theater there called Boom Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was founded by uh, like three Northwestern alums who were backpacking and stuff. And um, Amsterdam, Holland. Amsterdam, Holland. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was just making sure that <laughs> Not wasn't New Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Connecticut. Illinois. Or yeah, <laughs> no, Amsterdam, Holland. These guys opened this theater. And at first it was just like three schmucks in the back of a bar. Uh-huh. By the time I got there, it was like a proper dinner theater with, you know, a few hundred seats and... You know, the prime minister would come, and you would get up, and 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 I got there. I, I replaced Seth Meyers. Oh wow, he was the cast member, and mm-hmm. I I went there, and and I was there for about two years, and we had a great group. We had a uh, Jason Sudeikis, uh, Jordan Peele. You guys uh, are all living in Amsterdam. We were all living in Amsterdam. That and, must have been crazy. And it, it, it was it was the, it was so great because it was the uh, it was like ninety nine two thousand. Yeah. I was like. The Gilder was still going on, so yeah. it was like two to one. So oh, sure. it was, everything was a half off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was just a simpler time. Like I got into house music and would go out and dance. Right. It, was, it was it was it was great. And oh, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. And then you know uh, from from there, I, I I have my my partner, my longtime uh, writing partner from Chicago, Dave Stassen, and we had plans. We were like, we'll move to L.A. and we wrote for the high school newspaper. We can just write movies or something. Right. And so the two of us, <laughs> and because it's the same thing, yeah. you know. 
And uh, the two of us and Seth Myers and his brother Josh and another friend, we we all kind of moved out to L.A. in uh, early 2000. And, you know, we're like, okay, this is our life now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was your brother tagging along at this point, or no? He's he's significantly younger than me. He's like six, seven years younger than uh, me. Okay. So he was, uh, you know, still in college. He right. was like in high school, I think, actually at that time. But uh-huh. um, once he kind of went through college and he moved back to Chicago and did a few years in in Chicago doing the uh, improv circuit, he told me it's like I want to come to L.A. Uh-huh. He did, and you got work pretty quickly in L.A. Not, not as quick as I would have liked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had like a, you know, about oh. 20 really bad months okay. where I was like, I mean, I couldn't even get a job. Wait, Like everyone's like, you'll be a waiter in LA. I couldn't even like be a busser. They wouldn't wow. even hire me as a busser. And as far as like the acting is concerned, I, I had one audition in those 20 months for to be an onion in a Quiznos commercial. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And, and I heard some hard luck stories. <sighs> that was pretty, when, 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 when you are like, I'm not a very religious person, but uh-huh. I remember praying that I, I get to be an onion. May I, <laughs> Lord, may I be an onion. Um, and and so, yeah, I was kind of in that like, you know, struggling, hungry, salad day, whole L.A. thing. And it wasn't until I wrote a two-man sketch with Seth's brother, Josh Myers, mm-hmm. and we put it up at I.O. And um, our friend was Nicole Sullivan, right, who was on Mad TV, yeah, a great yeah, sure. actor. And she came and saw it, and she's like, I'm going to tell the Mad TV producers to uh-huh. come check you out. And they came. And um, w- Will Sasso and uh, yep. Alex Borstein, who just won an Emmy I the know, other night, were, amazing. They were together. so cool. So cool. Yeah. They had just left, and they needed re- replacements, and they hired us. And uh, that was really my first, like, legit showbiz gig. Yeah, and you were on Mad TV off and on for a while or was, I was it on straight, for five, through? straight through five years yeah 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 i was there and i kept i was always like felt like i was probably gonna get fired just because i wasn't very good on like that show mad tv is so all about like um those big stock characters yeah. right like Stuart or miss swan yeah, yeah and i am i'm not good at that like i'm just not and so i would always play like you know the straight man, always. Right. And my whole thing was always like, James Brown, get out of my car lot. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And, uh, John Madden, what are you doing at my pancake house where I'm the manager? And It's uh, fun for a while, though. It's fun for a while. And it really was. For the first, like, year or two, mm-hmm. I was like, this is great. I'm making money, and I got to come and do a show and meet people. And then I, you know, I, I started um, – I don't want to say feeling myself. I just got restless. Yeah. I, I would get restless not just with um, – the show, but also just, you know, why aren't you doing this? Yeah. You know, I was a dick. You sure. know what I mean? I was just like, why aren't we doing this? We should be doing this and not this. <clears throat> and eventually I think Mad TV was like, they knew the end was near for the show. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you you can go. We're releasing you. You right. can go. Which I thought once Mad TV ended, you know, I would go to a sitcom. And yeah. Just, that's the transition. Uh-huh. And like after I – was fired from Mad TV for all intents and purposes, began like a very dark, like two and a half. I don't want to say very dark, like I was like shooting up smack. Right. <laughs> but like I really had a hard time getting hired for anything. Yeah. Um, and it was tough too because at that point I had already met my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and we were living together. And right. it's kind of one of those things too where I met her and I was like, come live with me in LA. I want a TV show. And she yeah. dropped her life, <laughs> came to LA. And then like a month later, it's like, oh, so I'm no. out of work. <laughs> yeah. Which Shit. is tough. You have to like really like, you know, it's just, it's tough. Yeah. And yeah, no one would hire me. I would get like small parts and like, uh, 
you know, like uh, remember all those spoof movies they made in the middle two thousands? Mm-hmm. I would do, I would do like parts in that, which was I was so thankful that they would like pay me money and I would get right. to go to New Orleans and shoot for a week or so. So they, that really kept me going. But it was at that point I really said to myself. I need to really commit to my writing mm-hmm. because I don't think it's going to work as an actor. And make your own future. That's it. That's it. And 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 even if I just end up being like writing copy at an ad firm, great. Right. But like the acting thing is just not going to happen. I just have a crazy weird face and I have a giant space in my teeth and it's not going to work. So my, my partner moved back. He was living in D.C. working for ESPN and he came back and we were like, let's write something. Mm-hmm. And we we wrote and wrote like maybe one or two scripts that didn't quite make it. But then we wrote one um, that we sold. We Man. sold it. Yeah. And we were like, we're writers now. Yeah. It was like, oh, it was the greatest <laughs> day. And 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 then uh, we were like, okay, well, they're going to make the movie and, and that'll be any minute now. And then we'll be like, we'll have a movie in the, you know, in the can under our belt. And the movie we sold in 2008 did not get made until 2016. Wow. <laughs> or 2015. What movie was it? Central Intelligence starring uh, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was, I mean... We wrote it back in 2009, and in our mind, it was like Ed Helms and Danny McBride. Right. And it just shows you like seven years later, two totally different guys are yeah, playing yeah. it. <laughs> but but um, that really did – that was another kind of big moment selling that script because once you sell a script, then you start to be seen as a writer. And you right. go and meet other producers and, mm-hmm. and directors and stuff. So we really were living in that writing space, and that's how we made our money. We would sell one script a year yeah, and maybe do punch-ups on stuff and make a little bit extra money. But I was like, I'm just a writer now. Right. And Which is great. A amazing. great career. Loved it. Yeah. We, were, we were excited. Um, there was still like an itch because I knew friends of mine were actors and right. they were getting parts. And I was like, shit. And then um, one day I got a call to audition for Eastbound and Down, which I was a huge fan of that show. Yeah, me too. I love that show. I I heard a little bit of Ivan earlier when you were... (laughs) A little, you can hear it a little bit. Yeah, man. It's so good. Ivan right now, I feel like, uh, definitely helped get Donald Trump elected. He was at that (laughs) meeting. I was at Trump Tower. I was there. I was the number, I was the question mark. Um, But that was the first time a show that I was a, like, crazy fan of. Yeah. I could have maybe worked for and. They call me into audition to be the the catcher, to be the catcher, uh-huh. right? And I was literally driving to the audition, and I got the call. They were like, "Hey, they they put an offer out to someone," and I was like, "Oh," and I was like, "Is there anything else?" And they're like, "Well, there's this pitcher, but he's Russian." And I was like, "I, I can do a Russian accent." <laughs> so I went and I read, and then Danny, I met with him and. Uh, Jody Hill the next day, and and it was the improv training that got me the job. Because oh, that's great. I came in and read it, but then, you know, reading with Danny, and Danny's one of the best improvisers in the uh-huh. play. And right away, he was like, what's your fucking problem, dude? What's your problem, yeah. man? You're being a dick, Ivan. And I was like, I'm being a dick. You are the biggest dick ever. Your dick is big, and you are it. And he started, like, dying in the room. He's like, all right, fuck it, let's do it. He's uh, like, are you willing to get the worst haircut on TV? Well, he snuck that on me after I landed there. I was I was in, literally sitting in there for my camera test, and he comes in, and he's like, my man, let me show you a picture right now. And I want you to know you do not have to do this, but I just want to show you a picture. <laughs> And you make the decision, and he showed me like 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 a like oh. a like a, a Czechoslovakian sophomore in high school's haircut, in like nineteen eighty eight. He's like, "What do you think?" And I was like, "Shit, man, let's do it." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that part wasn't bad. The, the rough part was coming back 
eight months later to do reshoots and having to get the haircut again a week before one of my best friend's wedding. Uh, so I was no. at that wedding and no one had seen the show yet. I wow. just looked like a mental patient. <laughs> People were like, what are you doing? Well, the bride's like, thanks, stealing my thunder. What <laughs> yes. a dick. Wow, you managed to take the focus and be an asshole. Uh, so, so yeah, but, but, but that show, again, that was the other kind of one of the big moments for me yeah. where you, you, I'll never forget they had a like a premiere screening for it and it was a, a, the first time where people that I looked up to came uh-huh. up to me, like Will Forte and yeah, Adam yeah. Scott came up to me and they were like, dude, that was great. And I was, I was like, oh my God, that's great. And because of that part, Mindy Kaling was a fan of that show uh-huh. and she started tweeting at me and she was like, you're very, very funny and stuff. So it was right around that time where um, she kind of just, you know, discovered me and and was like, you know, I met with her to write on her show and from East Mountain Down for sure got me the part yeah. on the Mindy Project. That's great. Yeah, it was great. Very was great. cool, man. So, so thankful to those people. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. He constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. Well, let's talk about Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, the best movie ever? Uh, well, I will say this, too. I, I, um, you initially picked The Godfather. And I was like, great. Godfather, perfect. Great. And then you changed your mind and they asked if that was okay and too late. And I was just like, I'm, I'm just glad he's, like, actually giving this thought. Like, that, that meant something to me. <laughs> that you were like, well, no, no, no. Let me change Godfather to Goodfellas. Here's the thing. Godfather, I saw first. Yeah. It's a perfect movie. There's like 30 perfect movies. Sure. Ever. That's one of them. Um, and then I saw Goodfellas, and I've gotten in big fights with mm-hmm. friends of mine um, over what is better. And I think the only way you can look at it is like one of them is like Beethoven's Greatest Symphony. Yeah. And the other one is like the Rolling Stones' best album. Yeah. Like what's be- – you know what I mean? Like, like what what's better? What mood are you in? Exactly. Yeah. So, But at the end of the day, Goodfellas is the movie that – I remember seeing it opening night at the Esquire Theater in Chicago and and in my mind being like, this is, I've never seen anything like yeah. this. It's, it, it's, it changed my life. Yeah. Um, Scorsese, like, I mean, I've seen it, geez, so many times. So many times. And then I, I always rewatch though for this so I can take notes and really like give it that study. And which is great because new things always jump out at me sure. when you look at it through like a sort of a, a, then, a school-like lens. And then you start to see new faces. Like, yeah. I, last time I watched it, I was like, oh, shit, Polly Walnuts from The Sopranos is one of the yeah. guys in Tootie's Kitchen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I don't think you even noticed that last night. Yeah. Um, but something that really jumped out at me was uh, just how, like, punk rock it was <laughs> for a major studio film. Like, it had all the energy and sort of of, like, Mean Streets. Yeah. But it was... 
like Scorsese was, was well established at this point. Yeah. And he still kind of made this movie true to his roots with like fast camera moves and short scenes and breaking the fourth wall and freeze frames. Ultra and violence. Jumping and, around in time. And yeah. like he just fucking threw everything yeah. in, in the kitchen sink in there. Yeah. Uh, which was just ballsy. He also, I remember even being young and thinking like, holy shit, halfway through the movie, the fucking narrator changes. It becomes his wife. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, <laughs> it's so it's so genius. You know what I mean? Like in all these mob movies, it's they're always just so male dominated. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And and to take his wife, who's not just like I'm the disapproving wife, but like right. she's all coked out and oh, into yeah. it too. And and it is it is a. Perfect movie. Yeah, well, and she has that great bit of narration there. I don't know if that was the switch, but when uh, he beats the shit out of her across the street neighbor. I don't know. In one of the best scenes. But Ever. She, she was like, I know a lot of women that would have, but she's but It I turned me know. on. It turned me on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's it's so true, too. It I is, know. It's so, so honest. Oh, yeah. I can, like, still, I, like, have the rhythm of his feet crossing the street oh, yeah. to go pistol whip that kid like yeah, I still yeah. have the, the the cadence of his footsteps well and that guy is so dumb to front him like you know you want a piece or whatever he said yeah what are you fucking looking at I'm or like, something like that dude, and his friend goes don't shoot no idea <laughs> you have no the idea the world of hurt <laughs> yeah. and the way he pistol whips him is everything is so uh, specific and badass uh, like, uh, not that I want to promote violence, but if you're going to do it in a movie, like, this is the way to do That's it. That's the way to do it. It is. Also, <laughs> and the great thing about it, too, is that Scorsese follows the most important rule of doing a mob movie, uh, which Coppola didn't necessarily do, which is it, 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 the first part is glamorous. Yeah. But then it shows you what animals they are yeah. and, and how brutal and petty and 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 they just don't care about you and how the, your life will end up terrible. The best way it could end yeah. is you end up in Arizona eating egg noodles with ketchup. Yeah. That's the best way it's going to end. So I, I love that there is kind of this lesson at the end of the day, which is like, don't go in the mafia. <laughs> yeah, sucks. for sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Petchy, uh, there's something about um, – unhinged like characters that make me so nervous when I watch a movie yep. is such an effective thing to do and you actually did that now that I think about it with Yoth with the Mason character yeah like what's a, he gonna do yeah like a character that you don't know what the yep. fuck they're gonna do next and they're dangerous they're stressing you out it's so yeah. stressful to yeah. watch and yeah. they established this with Pesci so early on <sighs> of like you know the second that uh what was his name the uh Billy Bats Billy Bat says, get your shine box. Go get your fucking, you motherfucker, you like, piece it's of over. shit. Like, it's, it's over. his death sentence it's right there. It's over. And you know he's going to die, and and it's ultimately what kills Joe yeah, Pesci. Yeah, absolutely. And he just doesn't care. He's just, he's an egg timer. He's ready yeah. to go. And he is, yeah, man, he's amazing. But also, like, great tertiary characters, like Frankie Carbone. Oh, yeah. I thought you said you want the coffee to go. <laughs> I was kidding. Like, that is really good. Uh, uh, oh. oh, you know who we love. Uh the guy goes, it's under my mother's name. You're right. <laughs> that mode when De Niro's, like, angry about the money being spent is, like, the f- it's so funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? He oh, goes, Hello, so much humor take, in the take movie. Take the jacket off. Take the jacket off right yeah. now. It's so good, man. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's amazing. And Maury, like, what a great character. What am I, a schmuck on wheels? <laughs> Fuck him. And Ray Liotta goes, okay, you want to go tell, tell him? Go tell him to shut up. Yeah. Well, Ray Liotta, I mean, he's, he's the uh, – He's a peacemaker through 99% of this movie. And he's a psychopath. 
Yeah. Yeah, he is. He still is. Yeah, God, yeah. He's beautiful in that movie. Uh, he's so he, like, great. He is. I, the first two things I ever saw him in were something wild in that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is the greatest. <laughs> like, I mean, his eyes are so mournful and just I know. broken. He's a broken guy. Yeah, he looks like he's wearing eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. that's just like that's Ray Liotta. That's Ray Liotta. <laughs> that's just the beauty of Liotta. His... Uh, his Mark Maron interview is really good. I don't know if you've heard that I one. I have not heard that one. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's pretty great. Yeah, he's had a tough break, you know, the last few years. It's been hard, to, you know, I think yeah. for him. But I think, you know, he's he, he has a body of work he could look back on. Sure. Yeah, you know what he's great into is Copland. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. Great. The movie's they good. About that. You blew movie. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's such a uh, menacing presence on screen and can play such an asshole and it's like not like that in real life, and even he seems like a nice guy. He is a nice guy, yeah. yeah. And and I, don't, I think people sort of want him a little bit to be uh, to be Henry, yeah, yeah, yeah just scary guy. Henry's a likable character in a lot of very ways, very likable, yeah. And yeah. so is Jimmy. I think, God, even Pesci is. They, they, they're they're so charming. Yeah, like they really are. Robert De Niro in that movie, man. There is a scene when he makes the decision that he's going to kill Morty. Yep. And they start playing "Sunshine of Your Love." Yeah. Where it's like, oh man, the never music be- are ridiculous. N- never before has a man look cooler. Yeah. He's smoking that cigarette, and you uh-huh. see him figuring it out in his head, and they start cream kicks in. And it's just like, yeah. Oh, it's well, so cool. there and there are so many. Um, the other thing that really hit me watching it yesterday for the gazillion time was there are so many life and death decisions. That are made just like that. Yeah. And you, it sometimes, like, in that case, you see it on his face. You know that he's made his mind up. And then later on, when Pesci and Mari are joking around at the table, you see De Niro laughing, and you see it change. And he leans over, and he's like, remember what I was talking about? Just forget, forget about that. And I love the look on Leota's face, the relief. Oh, yeah. He's like, ah. Oh, you know what I mean? No, because like, he didn't want to he didn't want to whack sitting him. at a table all night, and you know someone there is going to be murdered. I know. Like, it's so stressful. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the guy's like, yeah, fuck it. And you're like, yeah. okay, all right, I'm going to get some food. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't last because Maury starts breaking his balls again and then gets the, the Maury's, ice pick through the back a, of the neck. Maury's a troublemaker, man. Yeah. He is. He is. He's a, you know what he is? I'm Jewish. I'm a, a guy like Maury, we call him a nudge. A nudge. A nudge. <laughs> Just stop nudging me. <laughs> the best thing to do is the way you realize he's going to kill me because do you think Maury tells his wife everything? Yeah. Like, like if someone asked that question, like they're clearly going to kill that person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Poor good. Maury. Poor Maury. He can, oh, yeah. Henry boy. Oh, Henry boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. He was so good. He's so good. Uh, and the other thing, too, is everything is so, uh, it's just so businesslike. Mm-hmm. Like after they kill, after they whack Sam Jackson. Yeah. And with the coffee Make and the, the joking. Coffee. Yeah. After they whack, uh, whack Maury with the ice pick through the head. Frank Carbone wants to warm up the engine to the yeah, Cadillac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing, you yeah. stuttering? <laughs> Come on, yeah. He's like, I want to warm up the engine. <laughs> like it's just so brilliant to throw in all those things and and the food that's like. There's always food around. I can tell you the food, specific food that they're eating at that table. But De Niro, right. when he goes delicious, delicious, he's eating a potato frittata. Now, is this with Scorsese's mom? This is Scorsese's mom. All yeah. right. This is when they go. Uh, After they, 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 they put Bats in the car. Bats is in the trunk dying. He's in the trunk dying. And they, and they decide go to have a full meal at like whatever And he goes, midnight. oh, my, I forgot. I got to use this knife. I hit a deer. <laughs> and the best line is he goes, I got to hack off the, uh, the foot. He goes, the whole The whole foot. <laughs> and she goes, oh, God. He goes, yeah, but, Ma, it's a sin. You can't leave it there. The the fact that, like, they're lying about oh. what's happening, and then he's, still, he's like, justifying it. No, but it's a sin. It's, yeah. like, so many lies. I know. Yeah. Well, it shows you, again, like, I've been reading a lot of this this old, uh, long-ago uh, writer named Hannah Arendt, who really studied uh, totalitarian, totalitarianism. Yeah. And she talks about this conversation that, that 
that people have in their head. Um, should I do something bad? Mm-hmm. And some people don't. They don't even. They don't even ask that question because yeah. they, they don't. They don't. They don't do bad things. Mm-hmm. Then you have some people who do bad things, but they have this conversation with themselves, and sometimes the conversations persuades them to not do that. Okay. But then there's some people who don't have the conversation and they just do the bad thing. Right. And I think that movie is all about guys who are the latter and then Henry's the guy in the middle who does have that conversation. So he justifies things the rest don't even have the to. The rest they don't even think about it. Like they're just, just like you said, like like it's not like Joe Pesci was like, oh, I don't want to kill Stacks right now. Right. But I have to. Yeah. Or it's just like, boom, let's make some coffee. Let's go. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's just like they remove that any empathy or any uh, any thought to it. Yeah, and I think when those guys die, it's sort of the same. They accept yeah. death. Like, I know it's just very brief, but Pesci has that slight realization. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. fuck, man, this is it. And Scorsese, like, again, like, as glamorous as the scene is when they're watching Frankie Valli with yeah. champagne, watching Pesci bleed out on a, on a, on a, on a cold linoleum floor with yeah. blood pouring out of his head. It's like, what a terrible way to go. And they shoot yeah. him in the face and stuff. And it just shows you. And like, it's like, like a rental house or something. Yeah, even. it's so weird. And it just shows you, like, Scorsese is really telling you, like, hey, the mafia is bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, lest you think it's cool. Like, this is what I'm... This is no, what for up. sure. Yeah. yeah, and the blood is a very effective, uh, right. his use of blood and then... and. Uh, and light, like the the red ba- yeah. bath of light when they're burying uh, Billy. Yeah. Or, uh, not Billy, but... Uh, well, the blood looks cartoony in the beginning when they're like, they shot me. And they, they're like, yeah, put towels on his hand. Like, the yeah. blood is like light red. And then by the end, it's just like dark, that dark, cakey, yeah. like, you know, with the brains in there. And it's just it's just so upsetting. <laughs> well, you did a very fine job with blood yourself in the oath. <laughs> I have an amazing makeup artist effects lady. Because I watched them wild. both in the same day, and I was like, oh, Jesus. Man, this guy's clearly been like... <laughs> Influenced by the gangster genre because yeah. you, you did the violence well, and um, the one fucking funny line in the movie when you—I don't want to give away too much—but things go very dark, and there's a lot of blood at one point for various reasons. And you say it, it's black. Was it black before? <laughs> did I do that to him, or was it like that already? Okay, like the black <laughs> yeah. blood. Why is, is it blood? So yeah, gnarly I'm looking obsessed on with screen. Black. Well, yeah, yeah. We really had a lot of conversations about yeah, that. It's like you it's don't so want gross. that. If you have like blood that's like really um, bright red, yeah, it looks almost like something you would see on like uh, Mash, right. the TV show. Yep, and you need that dark, uh-huh. that dark, <laughs> almost black blood. Was it out. black before? <laughs> was it black before? Did I do that? Oh, oh shit! Oh man, that was mm. such a funny line. Thanks, and again, man. just when it was sorely needed. Yes. Um, I'm gonna read a few names off a list, and Beautiful. you just tell me. First thing that comes to my head? No. Oh. just whatever you want to say. Uh, Anthony Stabile. Frankie Carbone. Anthony Stabile is Frankie Carbone. <laughs> um, funny fact about him. He sued the Simpsons. Who did? The, and the guy who played Frankie Carbone. Oh, no, no. His name wasn't Anthony Stabile. Oh, uh, was it? No. But that guy who played him sued the Simpsons? So, you know Fat Tony and sure. the Simpsons? So, Fat Tony has, like, two henchmen. Uh-huh. And one looks exactly like Frankie Carbone. Yeah, he he looks like him. <laughs> and that guy that played Carbone, if I'm not mistaken, don't hold me to this, he sued the Simpsons, like, five or ten years ago for something like $500 million. Really? And I was just, like, imagining him, <laughs> this funny actor living somewhere in Jersey, right. talking to his ridiculous attorney. And the attorney's like, I don't know. I think this is a big one. He's like, how much? He's like, I don't know, $500 million? He's like... Let's do it. <laughs> uh, no, these are the guys when they're walking through. Anthony Stabile, Frankie Carbone, Fat Andy. Fat Andy. Frankie the Wop. Frankie the Wop. He's, he's the one who goes, how's it going, guy? <laughs> Freddie No-Nos. Freddie No-Nos, yes. <laughs> uh, Pete the Killer, who's Sally Balls' brother. Yes. 
Can you imagine writing these names? How much fun that was? Pete the killer, who's Sally Balls' brother. Uh, Nikki Eyes. Nikki Eyes. He's got the big glasses. Uh huh. Uh, Mikey Franchese. Mikey Franchese. And then of course I talked to you guy about that thing. <laughs> of course, uh, Jimmy Two Times. Yeah, Jimmy Two forget. Times. I remember there was a Mr. Show sketch where there was a parody of Goodfellas called like Pallies or something, <laughs> and they go, they called him Frankie one times because he only said things one time, and he goes, it stinks. And they go, what'd you say? And he just looks at him. <laughs> he says things one time. <laughs> he won't repeat anything. Uh, and then we, we have to talk about uh, the the tracking shot, the Copacabana tracking shot. Yes. Um, you are a director now. Yes. Can you imagine a more difficult scene to block in light? Oh, no way, man. Like, how I mean, did they do this? Well, I... Uh, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. I, I have my... Homage to Goodfellas. I have this one long tracking shot in the movie that's kind of Thanksgiving Day, like the prep scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you're walking through. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, I, you know, I think every long tracking shot in a movie now is inspired by that. <laughs> yeah, and sure. It's the most one of the most famous shots in history. I know for ours that it was a lot of conversation and so much prep. Yeah. And this is a small movie in one house. But you're dealing with an exterior, outside, Yeah, they start across line. the street. They start across the street. Yeah. And and I, I'm obsessed with Scorsese's use of camera. There's a shot in, in Taxi Driver that's uh-huh. crazy. It, it scandalized people when it first came out where the, the camera's on De Niro walking and then he crosses out of frame mm-hmm. and then you see the camera stays on, on nothing yeah. rather and then you see him enter across the street. It's like, who does that? Who lets yeah. the camera sit? So so uh, to have it start outside across the street, come in, talk to the doorman, go through that dark hallway into the light kitchen, yeah. into the slightly darker room. The, the, I, I can only imagine, like, they must have spent, like, you know, a full solid week just running it over and yeah, over. Yeah, I imagine the pre-light shot. was several days. I, I can't even imagine how they worked that. I mean, I think those locations were practical. Yeah. You know, so I, I guess it's not a matter of, like, a, a, you know, a, yeah. a they didn't up. own it for yeah. Yeah, but it's just which I think makes it harder. Yeah, sure. Because it's just different things to control. So I can't remember who shot the movie. Uh, um, you know, I don't know that either. I know they shot that scene eight times. Yeah. Uh, I guess you know it's all one take. So I guess they just. I'm surprised. Use the only one that worked properly yeah. <laughs> would be my guess. Yeah, but it is it is uh, the best shot in the best movie of all time. Yeah, and the blocking of it, too, is just amazing with all those characters. I, I was going to count at one point, and then I just couldn't. And 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 his, his uh, you feel li- li- just like how when you feel, like, disgusted when when, uh, when Joe Pesci's bleeding out. Yeah. Like, you feel like you, you want to be Lorraine Bracco. Like, yeah. you want to be with him. You know well, what I mean? And that's the thing about that shot is it's it's not just, hey, let's show off. With this long ass tracking shot, like you're you're, you're entering her world. Yeah, with yeah. no cuts, you yep. absolutely feel what it's like. And the whole time he's going like, yeah, like it's just easier if I do yeah. it this way. It's yeah. just it's a lot easier to just to walk through here. It's and, so romantic. Yeah, it's it so really sweet. Is. Really, it's it's sweet. It's romantic. It's sexy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. you literally see her in the space of that scene, like completely fall yep. in love with him. And like. I know what life I'm getting into. Yeah. He says he's in construction. Very soft hands. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but she knows on. what she's getting into. That's why you, but even at the end of the day, you still feel so bad for her. Even when she's like, uh, this, remember at the end when they're talking to the feds and she's like, yeah. this doesn't involve me. And that feds right. like, no, Karen, don't do the babe in the woods. I've yeah, heard yeah. you on these tapes. You yeah. know what I mean? But you still feel bad for her. Yeah. Witness protection. I mean, that, and the end of that movie is, uh, 
I don't know how to take it sometimes. I mean, it's 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 so sad to me. I I always love the little uh, homage to the Great Train Robbery. Yeah, I didn't Pesci. realize what that was until I looked it up. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, it was always kind of silly to me. Yeah, but then, but the more and more I watch it, the reason I love it is because you see Leota and he's sad about where he is now and he can't get decent yeah. marinara. The, the, the blue uh, bathrobe. The blue bathrobe with the paper and stuff. And then it cuts that that shot of Pesci pulling the gun. Yeah, and then so you cool. see Leota kind of like looking away with this like slight smirk. Yeah. And I can't decide if what we're supposed to do is he's mad about his new life, remembers his old life and is grateful to not be in that anymore. But I think it's the opposite. I think, I think you're right. I think it's him thinking about Joe Pesci killing guys. And he's like, man, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he flat out says it too. Now I get to live like a schnook. A schnook. The, the, the worst thing I ever did was become a huge Howard Stern fan <laughs> because he had Henry Hill on the show all the time. Yeah, I used to love Stern. Yeah, yeah. And he he uh it took a little bit of the mystery out of, of yeah. Goodfellas, you know, where he's That's like true. I actually have a no kidding, I have I own a, an original Henry Hill painting. Really? I do. Yeah, something like a prison my, painting or uh no, he was out when he when he, he was living in yeah, Arizona or something towards the end or, or no, I actually think he moved back to New Jersey. But he would sell art. He would always go on Howard and be like, buy my art. Go to henryhill.com. <laughs> and a friend of mine ordered me like a piece. And Is it cool? I mean, it's cool that he painted it. Right. <laughs> Is it visually cool? <laughs> Does your wife let you hang it? No. Okay. <laughs> it's, in, it's rolled up. That's the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, that last scene again with her, or the last shot with Pesci firing the gun, it's um, – like you said, an homage, which I didn't realize until yesterday, the yeah. great train robbery. Yeah. But um, also just like a punk rock way to end that movie. The whole movie's punk. Like he just, just feels he, indie still. It's nothing Hollywood about it. No, no. He has, Martin Scorsese has, has zero fucks to give in that movie. Yeah. He doesn't care. And I got to say, even though it's not as good, I remember watching Wolf of Wall Street a few years ago and being like, I, like that. I really liked it. And it's also like, God damn, a 70, like one year old man yeah. directed this. This movie's punk rock too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's this, I liked it, it. You know, he did the same thing with that, which is like the first half is like, look at all the fun they're having. Yeah. And the second half is like, they are disastrous. Yeah. Yeah. But like, sure. he really is uh, still to this day, like one of, one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to break the fourth wall, like he did in that courtroom scene, <sighs> like there's breaking the fourth wall and then. They're just doing what he did. Having everyone freeze while yeah. like, your main guy gets up out of a witness bench <laughs> and, and just starts walks talking. Through the scene. It's like, it's, it's crazy. He breaks every rule in that yeah. movie, man. And it's just like, it's, I've seen it a hundred times and I've never not enjoyed it. I've never gotten sick of it. I just, I always find like new little tiny tweaks here and there. That yeah. I'm just like, oh, I didn't realize that. But it is just, yeah, man. It's, I, it's, I lived in Jersey for a few years and uh, my friends and I used to just, it was one of these movies where it was just part of our dialogue. On the reg. My my buddy and I still like, <laughs> like uh, this guy Sam, what do you want from me? Like we always say that all the time. I'm trying to bang this broad here. I'm trying to bang this broad. <laughs> Can you believe in this day and age a Jew broad doesn't want to go out and date an Italian? <laughs> that she's so good. He won the Academy Award for that. He did. He did. Uh, Deserved. Yeah. Earned. The other one I wanted to see when uh, Dances with Wolves fucking swept that year, which I can't even talk about that. But I wanted, really wanted Thelma uh is it Schoonmacher or Schoonmacher? Yeah, she's his editor. Best editor of all time. I wanted her to win for this movie. And Dance of the Wolves won? Yeah, I think so. I will say this. Dance of the Wolves is beautiful and majestic. It's just it's just a little boring. It's very boring. Compared to Goodfellas. How often do people revisit Dances with Wolves over and over 25 years later? No, no, no. Especially not the You might watch a scene, watch Wind in His Hair, yell at him, but that's it. Tillman Bay. Tillman Bay. Bay is weak. We need to rebuild. You have no choice. 
It has to be done. The epic fiction podcast Tuman Bay returns. Have we met before? Oh yes, General. From creators John Scott Dryden and Mike Walker. I need soldiers and I need them now. Maya is defeated. Don't you see? It's not a gift. It's a curse. We are the fist of God. That fist is now raised in its club of iron to punish the city of unbelievers. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the name of God, what have you done? Uh, all right. Well, we finished with a couple of quick segments. Love it. Um, what Ebert said in five questions. Oh, I love it. Uh, God Ebert. Bless. This movie is a complete disappointment. He gave this uh, four stars. He was a very much a champion of this I, movie. I remember reading his review in, yeah. in the Sun Times that day. It's great. Here's uh, here's a quote. Uh, Goodfellas is about guilt more than anything else, but it is not a straightforward morality play in which good is established and guilt is the appropriate reaction toward evil. Uh, no, the hero of this film feels guilty for not upholding the mafia code, guilty of the sin of betrayal, and his punishment is banishment into the witness protection program where nobody has a name and the head waiter certainly doesn't know it. What finally got to me after seeing this film, what makes it a great film, is that I understand Henry Hill's feelings. Just as his wife Karen grew so completely absorbed by the mafia in her life that its values became her own, so did the film weave a seductive spell. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, right on the money. He's the best, 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 best movie writer of all time. Oh, boy. Uh, all right, then five questions. Yep. First uh, movie you remember seeing in the theater. Flash Gordon. All right. The the great one. Flash! <laughs> uh, first R-rated movie. Uh, first R-rated movie that I saw in the theater? A- anytime. Oh, uh, first R-rated movie I saw, um, Revenge of the Nerds okay. at a birthday party, which is crazy for a bunch of five-year-olds to watch because you see Bush. <laughs> Five. <laughs> Hair pie? Thank you very much. Hair pie. <laughs> uh, will you walk out of a bad movie? Uh, ye- I I have only once or twice. There's a movie many years ago called Men of Respect starring John Turturro and I, I think Rod Steiger. And I was like, it was right around the time all, after Goodfellas came out and everyone was like, we're making a mob movie. Yeah, yeah. And these guys basically did like a, like a, like a Macbeth type of thing. And I was like, mob movie. And it's like more like Macbeth than uh-huh. it is Goodfellas. And I remember walking out of that. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's one other one. But, but it, it, these days, no, because right. I could take a nap. Right. Which is, as a father, <laughs> sleep is precious. Yeah, yeah. I've talked about it with plenty of dads and yeah. moms in here. Yes. You're, you're, you don't take as many chances these days either. <laughs> no. Because no, you no. only get to so you many get, movies. You get one you... movie a month at the theater. Yeah, so that, it's going to yeah. be good. Uh, I could take a nap. What, uh, what classic movie do you wish uh, you had been able to, to be in? Ooh. Oh, wow. Not necessarily a role, unless you want to get that specific. <sighs> classic movie. I wonder, like, what year stops being classic? Like, what, 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 what's the end of the classic era? Because, like, my favorite, like, old movie is I love Paths of Glory. Oh, sure. That's amazing. Um, but if I was to pick one that was a little more modern... Um, I I would have loved to have been in Mash. Oh man! If I could have been like, yeah. you know, Trapper, or Hawkeye, uh-huh. or one of those guys, that That's would great. have been really fun. Big Altman fan. Yeah, me too. Uh, and then finally, movie going one hundred and one. Uh, what's your movie ritual? Where do you 
Where do you go? Where do you sit? What do you eat? Um, we have this great theater near my house called the Arclight. I know and the Arclight. You know the Arclight? Sure. And, uh, you know, obviously now movies are few and far between, like you said. Mm-hmm. And if I do, I really have to go with my wife. But every once in a while, I need to see a movie for work, and yeah. my wife's working. Same so <laughs> the best thing I like to do is go to the Arclight at, like, maybe like an 11 a.m. showing. It's the best. It's the greatest thing in the world. You can go. You park on the roof. Um, there are certain things that are legal now in California. Yeah, that so roof, you can maybe you know I've been to that roof. <laughs> enjoy enjoy a little bit of that. You go in. Um, the ArcLight has, I think, the best movie popcorn with real butter. Yeah. I get a big thing of that if I'm really trying to be bad. I'll get a big Coke and a bottle of water. And uh, they have just the best picture quality, the best yeah. sound. They really take care of it. No one texts. It's really movie theater for movie lovers. Mm-hmm. And I I just went uh, not too long ago with my friend, and we saw Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Which I I didn't think I was going to like. I was just like, oh, I'll see it. And, like, part of it was the experience, but also part of it was just the movie was adorable. And mm-hmm. it was, like, like, such an enjoyable morning. You yeah. know what I mean? And the best part is you walk out of that movie. And you just saw a great movie, you had a great experience, and it's like 12.49 a.m. p.m. Yeah. And you have the half the day left. You can go home and work. You're in Hollywood. <laughs> you can go to Shake Shack, you can go home and write, you can do whatever you want. But that, to me, is really like the perfect time to see a movie for me. It's a, a, you know, the theater's 10% full. Yeah. You know, you sit anywhere you want. You can put your feet up a little bit, but that is like, that's my happy place. All right. Good stuff, man. Brother, man, thank you so much for having me. I love the oath. Thank you, man. All right. October 19th. Yep. All right, everybody. Another one in the can. That was a lot of fun. Ike was a super nice guy. Uh, He filmed uh, Blockers in Atlanta and I think Neighbors 2 in Atlanta and a couple of other things in this town. So he said he's here a lot. And on the way out, he was just like, dude, I'd love to do this again. I'll pick a different movie next time I'm here and we can we can hang out and uh, and talk about something else. So uh, there may be an Ike Barinholtz part two, everyone. It was certainly a fun time this time. And I would totally do a sequel with this guy. Uh, Very, very happy that he came in on his press tour for The Oath in theaters October 12th. Go out and support his movie. Uh, It is is very, very funny and very dark. And if you are troubled by what's going on politically in this country right now, I think it's a movie you should watch because it's, um, it, it, it sort of makes you feel a little bit better about things is all I'll say. I don't want to give away too much. But a uh, very, very good movie. Check out The Oath, October 12th. Thank you to Ike Barinholtz for coming in here. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Great thing when you have a name like Ike Barinholtz. That can just be your Twitter handle. So that's what it is, Ike Barinholtz. Very funny Twitter feed. So uh, thanks a lot for tuning in, everybody, and we'll see you next week. And until then, just watch Goodfellas again, everybody. That's what you should do. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Honey German. And I'm Carolina Bermudez. And, and this, this is Life in Spanglish. And you know we're cooking it up in here. We got that arroz con pollo waiting for you. Why are you looking at me so confused? Because I'm like, what are we cooking? We don't have a stove. <laughs> you got the bajo. I'll get, you know, the, you got the mangu. We got it all for you at Life in Spanglish. I need a sancocho if I'm getting any type of food. <laughs> listen and follow on the iHeartRadio app or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Every shelter pet is unique. Some love a good game of fetch. 
Others would rather snuggle together with you on the couch. However, there is one thing that they all have in common. They are all pure love. And right now, millions of pets in shelters and rescues across the country are waiting to be adopted. Did you know that only 44% of dogs and 47% of cats in American homes come from animal shelters and rescue groups? The unique quality of each and every shelter pet adds up to an incredible bond between every shelter pet and every pet's parent. If you're thinking about getting a pet, make sure to visit theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, Maddie's Fund, and the Humane Society of the United States.